Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is Artistically Ours Neurocast podcast. The podcast where say talk to neurodivergent people about these stories, giving them a platform to tell their stories in the words and way which they like, giving power to them over their story. In this episode, I'll talk to Rachel Rinder. Rachel Rinder is a content creator on uh, TikTok, uh, in, uh, Twitter and whatever social media. She'll link her social medias at the end of the podcast and I'll include in an episode descriptor. So as I said, she's content creator, she's full-time mother and she talks about her late diagnosis in her 40s of being autistic and having ADHD. This interview was inspired off lis- listening to her on another podcast from the BBC called Antisocial. This podcast was a live radio interview where she ch- chatted to the presenter and an oppo- somebody with an opposing argument on the topic of neurodivergency, neurodiversity and autism, looking at the conversation around the increase of diagnosis on TikTok and self-diagnosis. From listening to that and what I could see on Twitter, it could seem that she didn't have the right space and time to say things how she wanted and wasn't satisfied with the outcome. So what I like to do with this podcast is make sure this is a place people can come on you and feel free to have control over their narrative and be able to say things how they went with little uh, control from like an editor or, or the presenter myself as they try to listen and allow the guests to expand on what they want to say make sure it's a uh, free place for speech for them and a safe space to do so so this is something that I was proud to have on and you know as I say this podcast is about doing something different and she was very keen about doing this podcast and give insight on when she was peering on our podcast as well as her diagnosis and what it means to have a late diagnosis seeking support and and about the different neurotype and all that, you know, it is quite a uh, insightful interview. This interview was recorded on a day where she had a child at home and they edited much about it. So, like, if you hear anything that might not be as cl- clearly said on the podcast, uh, because, like, there's the noise on it the ends of it, uh, try to edit best with it and you know it was a good podcast recording and on the website I'll link below the, the podcast website will be uploading a summary of what we talked about if you want to get more of the written details of it as well as a bit more of the uh, presenter context from myself and some uh, notes I have on it and so let's get into it, as I said, with Rachel Binder.
So my name is Rachel and I am an autistic ADHDer. I'm a late discovered autistic ADHDer at the age of 40. I'm now 44. I feel like I've finally grown into my discovered identity. Basically, I spend most of my time being a full-time mum and creating content, basically share my insight. Oh, so what was it like, like being diagnosed at the age of 40 and being so late in, in adulthood? At first, I was a bit numb. I thought I'd be excited and tearful. But when it actually came, I was a bit like, is that it? There's nothing else, you know. I don't know why, but I thought, I thought I'd get some sort of like certificate to say... <laughs> You know, ta-da! it was yeah. through Sheffield. It was th- it was through Sheffield Adult Autism Services that I was assessed, and they were marvelous. And I'm actually back with them now, and they're supporting me because I was also obviously diagnosed, discovered that I'm an ADHD as well, and I had quite a bad experience to start with with ADHD meds because the um, specialist that I was first put in contact with didn't have a good command of the subject of autism. We're just treating the ADHD without addressing me being autistic as well. So the medication, basically, I feel caused me a lot of distress because of the experiences I had and the lack of understanding. Now I'm back with Sheffield. They've been fabulous, like, you know, listen to me. Let me explain, you know, myself as to why I struggle with whatever I struggle with. And they've taken all of that on board. They've actively listened to me and have supported me. And I'm now on some ADHD meds, which have completely turned my life around for the better. And it made me realise how difficult my life was being autistic ADHD without any ADHD support. So me being autistic, for me, on its own, compared to being both, this is just my opinion based on my experience is a lot easier for me because when I was both I I just wasn't coping at all and I can totally understand why I mean the statistics for autistic people are you know unaliving themselves and everything is like nine times higher than that of the predominant neurotype people who are autistic ADHD as in combined are even greater and it's uh, just like yeah yeah I can totally see why (laughs) as you were saying then you know because you said um as you say, I'm happy that you got the right support now and, you know, like you're in a better place. So as you said, you know, like you found this uh, point where you like your medications now working and that's great to hear. When you were getting diagnosed, I guess the issue sometimes is that, you know, like this support when you're getting diagnosed isn't always necessarily there. And I guess you probably, probably didn't have that you know, easy, like, oh, what do I do with this? Or, like, is this it, I guess? You felt that initially at first there was, like, a lack of support, was there? You mean, like, the lack of support post-discovery or... Yeah, yeah, like, post-diagnosis. So I get a lot of people asking me, you know, do I need to get a diagnosis in order to get support? And the answer is no. You do need to be able to justify why you're struggling in order to get support, which... I find and other people find and have commented to say that the Equality Act 2010 is supposed to protect, you know, disabled people. We are one of the protected characteristics. However, we are the only protected characteristic who has to justify our disability in order to get protection from the Equality Act, which in my opinion 
it's that's not equal is it <laughs> yeah it's not equal if you have to uh, get a diagnosis first before you're able to like legally prove that you are disabled when as yeah. you were saying that you can discover it for yourself and self-diagnose yeah. and yes. uh, as you would say that's valid and you know then then there's problem that the self-diagnosis can access some level of sport but no it can be quite rest- restrictive and they and I suppose that that's probably why you seek to diagnosis and it was the point where you discovered uh, your autism and ADHD as to again diagnosed with it yourself. I'd say about 16 years ago I, I had a friend who said I think you might be autistic. So I went to my GP because that's what I thought back then. That's what you had to do. Spoke to my GP. They referred me to specialist and I'm using specialist yeah. in inverted commas here. They basically looked me up and down and just said, no, you're not autistic. And many, many years later, after discovering, as in being officially diagnosed with Sheffield, as autistic ADHD, then I started looking at my medical records and what conversation happened between the GP that I approached 16 years ago and the specialist that they referred me to. And in my records, it states the GP basically saying, I don't think she's autistic, but what do you think sort of thing? I ended up with them saying no and me him just looking me up and down so I would like to to write a comprehensive detailed letter with peer-reviewed references and a bibliography <laughs> to <laughs> both doctors to explain their failings. As you say that they've like went into like write a letter you know with the bi- bibliography and probably like details out I think that that would be a good thing to do as like it's important to be able to like share like as you say the feelings the yeah. experience from your GP and make sure like the system can learn from this and as you were saying with the uh, like amount of autistic people who end up like having depression trauma yeah. and alive in themselves that lack of being like rejected when you're seeking a diagnosis and yeah. people distrusting your word of when you think you're autistic medical spe- specialists uh, not say thinking that's uh, valid can yeah. feel like some a rejection and then trigger some imposter syndrome and trauma from that and like I guess I was quite negative experience. Yes yeah I, de- I definitely think that this is one of the reasons why I support self-identity or self-diagnosis you know um, because it doesn't take from anybody else because it's it's only for your benefit because with you know with the knowledge like with the correct labels, you can then access the correct knowledge, the correct circles to sort of move within to help you sort of build your identity based on what res- what like what resonates positively with you. You know, with people saying, oh, you know, we're sort of like brainwashed and conditioned to sort of believe that, you know, we have to be given these labels from professionals. But if we're relying on those professionals who, if they don't have a good command of the subject of autism, uh, and you know who can define autism in one you know in one assessment because we're all yeah. different just like all humans are different so it it kind of just goes it kind of just goes for me as being a natural difference that exists within the human race and why can't we just accept that we are a different neurotype not faulty, not a deficit. You know, let's drop the sort of deficit language and terminology and the yeah. 
pejorative narrative that surrounds because I, I can't I can't say to people oh I'm autistic because as soon as you say that you're then losing kind of credibility based on that person's understanding of what that word means to them not what it means to me but what it means to them if I have found a better way of saying these are my needs and then listing them and giving to them to the person so then they don't lo- I don't lose any credibility they don't judge me based on the word that they don't have a good understanding of but I get my needs met and I don't have any assumptions made based on uh sadly you know misunderstood I suppose you know that kind of thing but yeah so that's why I work really hard to basically try and change the narrative that surrounds the term autism so that we can proudly disclose our autistic identity without the kind of negative baggage that goes with it <laughs> like this scientific medical like expert professional field then has this idea of autism that is kind of like set out by like holistic people and neurotypical people and is not from actual like studies and research that is conducted by autistic people and isn't from a first person experience and often it kind of appears from what like and they would a uh, typical person would see of autism and then that can be quite negative area as you're not directly listening to autistic people. And then the benefits of self-diagnosing is like you've been able to like over like years and it's as you say it's not it's not something that's done overnight and you know it's it's something that takes a lot of time to understand and to actually feel a bit more confirmed in it. Yeah. So it and yeah, so it's take, it's important to be able to listen and understand autistic people and see see ourselves as the experts. As yes, yeah, absolutely, and it just emphasises, doesn't it, the need for a broader understanding. Um, because you know you get people saying, "Oh, well, you know, we you know we can't meet everybody's needs." I, I find that that comment's never said by anyone who has needs that aren't being met if you if you're coming from a, a perspective of privilege of having your needs met pretty much most of the time then it's easy for you to say well we can't meet everybody's needs but if you experience life from a point of view where very rarely your needs are met I don't think you're going to be coming out with comments like that <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing just because it's just I'm not laughing yeah. because it's funny but it's just I just I think it's just so ridiculous you know and it's just I think yeah, you've either got to laugh or cry, and I'd rather go with laughing if I'm honest. Yeah, because like sometimes that's ridiculousness. You need to just like say, and then it's yeah. like important then to actually be able to like, as you see, even though like you know, like don't openly say it because sometimes you're like a bit feel unsafe and maybe saying you're autistic. But even if you say you're autistic, there's important saying what your needs are. Yeah, even though like people's. You know, as you say, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, we can't meet everyone's needs. But, but like, I guess with that, because like for anybody who's like has the privilege of being, being able, not disabled, uh, you know, I would have the thing of not needing any like e- extra needs met or needing any reasonable yeah. adjustments. So it's like the world's designed for them. And so some like sincerely autism is like a broad word and you can't, 
like easily defining one person's needs because everyone's needs are different because everyone's autism looks different. So, and then that's a big thing with it then about specifying it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, say to somebody, define what being human is. (laughs) Oh, um, where where would you begin? Is it, you know, but I'm always like, okay, meet needs on an individual basis. Don't assume, you know, the same goes. You've met once you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. And that person, there's never been somebody like them before them, and there'll not be anybody like them after them. And that's what people always need to bear in mind with anybody who they are communicating with working with whatever you know collaborating with um but also you know when people start saying things like oh well you're not severely autistic and you're really lucky because you can do this this and this and I'm just like why are you comparing me against other people who I am not I am me and my life is relative to me not to anybody else and my struggles are relative to me and if I, if you're, if you're viewing me in whatever way and you're making those assumptions, then never assume that those assumptions are correct. You know, you can make all yeah. the judgments that you like, but you can't, I don't think anybody has a right to disclose and volunteer those opinions unless I ask for them. Um, yeah, judgmental. Yeah, yes. And then, um, you know, the thing about the severity is, okay, so a predominant neurotype person who has you know additional disabilities on top of them being a predominant neurotype um and they need 24 hour seven days a week care but that doesn't make them severely predominant neurotype that makes the person who has high support needs that need 24 hour seven days a week care so we don't you know we don't call the pnt severe or mild therefore autistic people should not fall into the severe or mild because again meeting need on an individual basis that doesn't cover that or tick that box or whatever but also you know who who decides on how awful somebody's life is and how bad it is and how much they suffer nobody knows how much somebody suffers only the person who experiences the suffering knows how much they suffer and um you know I quite often get people saying well you know um you're always sort of like making light of it and talking positively and blah blah blah. and I'm like well even if you had like a serious illness would you want people to be constantly talking about it in a negative way and telling you all the doom and gloom all of the time. No, I don't think anybody would want that. So again, I'm trying to reframe and I guess rebrand the term autism as not something to be feared, but something to be accepted and embraced and accepted as a natural human variant. Yeah. As you were saying, with like terms like talking about things in a negative angle then you know like with people's like assuming people suffer from it then you know like I'll say that's negative language because like you often see it in the media or like in an article even like not just autism it refers to like a condition like ADHD or dyspraxia dyslexia and as you say that's that's a real problem as one person might not feel that they're suffering but like you know it's and then it can impact a person's mental health or like perception of their disability, making that it seem more problematic than what it may be. As you would hint at, it's quite nuanced. But as I say, there's, you know, like stuff where you might find hard with it, some things you find 
easier you do good at like uh, uh, most people you know have different like like neurotypicals have different profiles of like challenges and uh you know things they excel in and not yeah not with autistic people as you were saying about you know not seeing it too much like a functioning labels and you know when you were talking about people you you know with like people see as high sport needs it's like through and all like people's autism and when you rebound it it's like everyone's got like a different profile of autism and like different like sensory needs or different you know challenge uh challenges and think different things yeah excel at different skills and all that yes yeah absolutely and, and that applies to all human beings and regardless of what anybody on the outside looking in thinks, yeah, they're, you know, they're entitled to their opinion, but they're not entitled to volunteer that and share that unless they're asked. Um, and, you know, like if if someone who's um, disabled to the point where they have to rely on 24-7 care and that's all they've ever known, then that's what's relative to them. But yeah. someone who has never known that, looking at them, looking at them and pitying them, that's not a fair thing to do because comparing people isn't helpful to anybody and that person's experience is relative to them. Um, and it, it just seems to be about people making assumptions based on their own experiences um and coming to the wrong conclusions i guess and assuming that somebody else's life is terrible or no i wouldn't want a life like that and it's just like uh, i don't i just find it really unhelpful yeah as you're saying that then you know like it's all pre- you know people can be quite prejudiced and you know like prejudging their disabled people yeah yeah and like then you know like there's not to see everything like what people see as like an ideal you know, like lifestyle or one makes an ideal person or not comes in like in different forms when you think about about yeah. what people talk about like can be dependent like the ideal looks and body size or body image. Um but also can you know like reflect different ways of being disabled and like you know different disabled characteristics on seen as like yeah. the ideal of what aspired to and yeah. as you've seen that that does link to a lot of uh, trauma a lot of mental health struggles can come from it with disabled people yeah yeah I mean what oh, I can't last time I read it was like 80% of people still see disabled people as lesser than non-disabled people and if you actually say to people, okay, you know, anybody can become disabled, you know, we're not... Um, yeah, you're just talking about, like, I was saying about the confidence issues and, like, how yeah. people judge people yes. on it, the mental health stuff. So, you know, anybody can become disabled at any time. I mean, I think everybody has likely experienced disability to some degree because, you know, when you're unwell, if you're ill... Um, you're not able to function as you are, I guess, typically used to. So, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're unwell and you get better, the disability doesn't last. But then there are other people who have accidents that mean that they become disabled. So, again, being disabled is very much a, a personal experience for that person and that person only. And I guess it would affect, you know, the people around them, but the perspective, and the facts come from the person whose experience it is, not from those around them. Does that, yeah. if that makes any sense? I tend to say this quite a lot because I worry that I don't make sense. <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. And like, 
uh, going back to when you were talking about uh, well, we talking about the different profiles of or like autism and ADHD. What what is kind of like your your own profiles or like your own traits, like the things that either like your your needs or like the skills you have and you know different ways you like need like support or stuff like that. Yeah, so I get seventeen hours a week support, as in PA support. Um, I've ended up basically having a cleaner come to help me who is also neurodivergent and that has helped enormously because the kind of um, things that I struggle with is people look at me assume that I'm capable and don't understand why oh my um, so okay my autistic profile would consist of being very I'll inverted commas able looking (laughs) and I'm very good at masking I'm very good at pretending I'm okay. I'm very good at pattern spotting. I'm also good. The pattern spotting kind of isn't just the pattern spotting. It kind of, there's a complex layers to that of body language. I'm very good at reading body language. I am not good at reading the predominant neurotype social cues, but I am good at reading neurodivergent social cues because I think that's something that people seem to think oh I'm not very good at reading social cues and it's like well actually you are good at reading social cues you're just not good at reading social cues that don't belong to you because of the way your brain processes things so is that that would be something that I'd say definitely the things I struggle with would be cognitive empathy I don't think that's exclusive to being autistic though because you know like I've said before that you don't 100% understand somebody else's situation because there's so many you know influences contributing factors that change the way that people perceive events but basically um if I have absolutely nothing to kind of frame something against then I struggle to understand but how I deal with that is what I believe is important so I will say to somebody I'm here to listen um I don't necessarily understand or I don't necessarily feel I can relate to what what you're experiencing but I want you to know that I'm here for you yeah um, just if you know like a sounding is it sounding board just someone to talk to yeah. an ear to bend as it were but it does cause a lot of problems in relationships in my life I guess because like the double empathy problem of the predominant neurotype not understanding why I think the way that I do and vice versa yeah. the other thing I struggle with is time and money I have a very different concept of time and money I don't really seem to hold the same sense of value of it as in of money's value I seem to have a more solid or concrete understanding of value in the sense of people how I feel about people and how I feel about my material belongings and I sort of came to the conclusion that I like spending time with people but I need time to defragment to recover and you know recalibrate all of that and material things I seem to become very attached to and I it, I think I, I sort of realised it's because it's always where I left it. It never changes. It doesn't give me grief, doesn't tell me stuff that I don't want to know and is, you know, just generally consistent and reliable. So I think that's probably why I prefer, like people say, oh, I feel like you love this material thing more than you love me. And it isn't, it isn't that. It's that this thing is consistent. It never changes. And if it gets broken, 
I am absolutely devastated. And the other thing I would say is now I'm on ADHD meds, which mine are the non-stimulant because the stimulant ones were just a nightmare. You know, no, if you're like you're okay or not or something, unless you know, like you have something changed, and then you can reevaluate then and think, oh, we're not really okay with that. Yeah. And as we same with the empathy thing, it's like I think like as you know, we talk about our autism being neurodivergent. It's like as with empathy and many different other factors like communication, sensory, you know, we are di- divergent in empathy because it, it's a lot to, uh, because it takes in the factors of different sensory things of how, how we read people visually, these social cues, how we yeah. like hear their uh, tone of voice and yeah. how we process our own emotions and their own emotions. And because like, we can't know what is going through somebody's mind or like how like they think and the feeling and as you were saying that you uh struggle reading uh, neurotypical people's body language but you can read the neurodivergent uh body language and yeah social cues a bit easier because with the thing of having it you know like knowing the language of a neurodivergent person I think it's like the empath- like we do empathize and like I think since we show emotions differently that's why like sometimes can seem like lack in empathy but it's probably more internally it takes time to process and can get quite overwhelmed with empathy and then you know struggling with what to do with it and how to process it. Yes I think sometimes you almost feel like an obligation to respond in the right way. And I suspect that's probably like a trauma response from being, you know, stung or told off, chastised for or shamed or whatever the negative response that you got because you weren't you know, responding in the way that that was expected. And that's another thing I always say to people, you know, never project your expectations onto other people because you're expectations belong to you and you only (laughs) yeah so it's almost like oh gosh I'm expected to do something here and um and especially when you're tired I don't know if anybody else has this but when I'm really tired and I've done a lot of peopling it's almost like I feel like my face is gonna crack if I have to smile I feel like tall guy Barbie oh my gosh my face hurts you know I can't smile anymore and I've said that to other people and they've gone no I don't experience that and that's like predominant neurotype people who I know it's like okay yeah I, I can't do this now I'm gonna I'm going home bye yeah, <laughs> um, I'm like, but yeah get, it's an interesting experience yeah from what you've seen about like it's all right but what you seen about then I think it does take time and delay to process that and then as you're saying if you like you've been burnt out or like you're doing a lot of socialising yeah but, you know like when you like haven't like to think of what to respond to and how to empathize as a person sometimes you need to take if you like you need uh, extra time to think how do I respond to this person yeah. because sometimes you don't know what how to expect to respond yeah. or know what to say yeah absolutely I've just downloaded an app actually for when I go um non-verbal where you, you can like create the sentences and then you can just sort of look through and press them to ask for help because sometimes I don't feel able to speak because I'm just so overwhelmed or whatever else it is and then you just you know press this and it speaks speaks what it is that I'm asking for and again in non- none of those things do I mention that I'm autistic 
because I, I don't I don't want to kind of lose any sense of control over how and what support is provided, you know? Yeah, it's like something you probably only feel comfortable saying if you know, like, you're safe to say yeah. that. And, you know, like, yeah. you have to, like, have a level of trust with a person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, there are people who I thought would be very accepting, very understanding, and it was kind of like, it wasn't like that at all. And that I think <clears throat> that's something that people, you know, say, you know, do you disclose it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I only disclose it if I feel safe to do so. Yeah. But you can't always guarantee that the people that you feel safe do so yeah. are going to take it because you can't control how they perceive the information that you've disclosed. And once it's out there, there's no taking it back. You know, you can't yeah. go, oh, I'm just kidding you. So it's, it's, you know, it's that kind of, okay, I'm just going to ask for the specifics of what I need. What do I need you to do now to help me? I don't need to tell you that mm. I'm autistic. I just need to tell you that I need help, say, I need help getting my items through the till and leaving the store. And that's, that's all I'm, that's all I end up asking. Yeah. And if you like can communicate to that for as you say, if you got like an app, I can like you can have like uh, sentences and like things you might want me to say if you uh, like have non speaking have non speaking episodes. Then it yeah. can be quite handy then, like and it can be quite useful in me like for somebody who's uh, like without the diagnosis then or like maybe as you said like yourself not comfortable in saying and I think yeah. as long as it becomes a bit more universally acceptable just to like ask and receive yeah. any necessary support you can get I think yes. that will help a lot yes yeah uh, I think um for me you know again people sort of going back to people make assumptions making assumptions based on what they see of me yeah. in that moment so I get a lot of people looking at my TikToks and then going oh you look like you're competent blah 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 blah. and I'm like that's just a snippet of my life that you've seen and then you've yeah. decided that based on that three minute video that that's how I am all of the yeah. time I'm just like oh my gosh um and and then you sort of because um, and I'm sort of like going okay I'm 44 years old I have lots of qualifications and I've never had a full-time job with a contract in all of my working life um, because I can't hold a job down. And when if I ever sort of if I've ever applied for jobs and gone for interviews, it's never gone well. Because I think again, like you know, interviews that you know, if you're great at interviews, you succeed. If you're not, you, then you don't. Well, uh, you know, I, d I don't think I've been to an interview yet where they actually are observing me for the purpose of the role. Or are they just ticking boxes and I'm not meeting their criteria that was never designed with me in mind and I would never have achieved it, even though my qualifications and my abilities could be better than the person who they end up choosing yeah. just because the interview process is designed for the predominant neurotype and not neurodivergent people. Yeah, I mean, because lots of it is designed for, like, as you've seen, a majority of the type fucking for people who've got, yeah. like, kind of, like, communicate in a typical way or, you know, to, and who are more suited to having a, like, regular nine-to-five and, like, have experience in that uh, specific role before and, like, done a full-time contract again. And I think sometimes 
then you've been out of work or like kind of not been accepted so many times I think that makes it harder to get into like work then yes absolutely because there's also the, yeah. the you know there's, there's, I'm, I'm afraid to go back to work because I just feel like I can't I can't work and look after my family because it's either one or the other if I if I t- if I took a job on in the traditional sense of a job I wouldn't be able to be a parent because right? I'd just be spent I'd be like burnt out I'd be unable to cope with any kind of sensory input and I would not be a good parent and seeing as being a parent is a full-time job I don't get paid for it yeah. uh, I wish I did I often some days think I should get danger money <laughs> But, um, you know, it's like, it is what it is. And I've just got to go, okay, today I'm able to do this. Tomorrow, I just have to see how I feel. This is what I'd like to achieve. But I have to kind of go on a day by day or moment by moment basis. Because I can think, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And then on that day, I wake up and I'm absolutely spent because the day before I try to basically cram too much into a day, burnt myself out. So then the next day, I'm just completely, I've completely disabled myself because I've tried to cram too much in and then I'm no help to anybody so it's really important for me personally to kind of pace myself and give myself like I'll do this job and then I'll have a break I'll do this job and then I'll have a break because if I just keep going and I suspect that's the kind of ADHD part of me the you know the need just to keep going and then the autistic inertia and the kind of like perpetuate you know (laughs) wind each other up basically so it's like oh my life um, but the the ADHDs, you know, ADHD meds have helped me with that. But I still get like even if you know, even I just went to the post office and I went to like send something off that needed posting off. Yeah. Any transaction that occurs in that post office, I go home and I'm absolutely pooped. I need to lie down, not talk to anybody, do nothing. Uh, I, I'm just like, uh, how how would I ever have a job if I can't just go to the post office <laughs> without coming home going, I'm so tired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, what do you mean? Because like I like I don't really go uh, like many places, but like by myself, and you like I tend to go with family. Like I was just saying that you know, like navigating, like you know, like like wherever when you got like so many different things to focus on different noises and different things to think about then yeah. it can be quite overwhelming and as you were saying about work I think one thing with autistic people being uh, like a lot or disabled people anyway with lacking it tend to be quite highly unemployed is because lots of the workplace isn't designed for us especially if, yeah. if you got like multiple commitments like you got like the family life and you need to like find ways of like pacing and balance yeah. things out yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yeah, like um, Dr. Luke Bearden's autism plus environment equals outcome 2017. And um, it, it just absolutely is correct. You know, fish out of water isn't going to do very well. You know, yeah. put the fish back in the water, in the correct type of water, the correct yeah. temperature, everything else. It'll do well if you, you know, yeah. it's not it's not rocket science, is it? You know, gardeners whose flowers aren't doing very well, they don't change the flower or the plant. They change the environment. Why yeah. don't they apply that to humans? <laughs> it's like, apparently, we've got to change the humans. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. what? And then and if they just applied the low arousal approach to so many, like all of life, basically, it would make life so much easier for everybody. So the way that... Yeah. So, world is designed with the pnt in mind disables us as autistic and neurodivergent people but if they actually applied even just one change which would be the low arousal approach so everything with the low arousal approach would make 
such a huge difference in our ability to access without having to ask for help. And that that to me would be just like marvellous. And meeting our needs by applying the low arousal approach would mean that it wouldn't impact neg- negatively on the predominant neurotype. So we all can exist in that environment, but that's not allowed. We have to carry on with the way that we are. Yeah. And I just think, oh my life, you know, maybe if the people who maybe if the people who are in charge of all of this decision making knew what it was like to not be privileged or or to have the privilege of constant environmental meeting need then maybe those changes would happen but i i suspect there's a lot of lacking of empathy in the predominant neurotype yeah as what you're saying though there is right because i think with like always in charge and like you know having that power to change things i think for that you do need better system to change as you're saying that you know like sometimes you feel like systemic like they went in different person when that can impact a you know a disabled person because it like feels like they they you know like even when someone to be someone be disabled or like you know you can make leave a person feeling like oh this was an autistic or have ADHD and as saying that's a negative feeling and that can cause like as you either uh, feeling end up like unaliving and stuff like that yeah. But, but as you say, seeing with like this systemic thing, it's like I think you need this like system where like neurodivergent or disabled people can be in old positions of power to actually make the changes. Yeah. yeah so to sort of reset the balance, whether the balance has ever been there before, I don't know. Yeah. But at the moment, it's like PNT neurodivergent here. Whereas if we yeah. go here, I think we'd be, I think so many of society's problems are created because of that imbalance, because yeah. they. They, I can't say they as in all of them because not all yeah. of them are the same but you know the predominant neurotype brain which sees life the way that it does and refuses to see life from our point of view means that they're missing out on details that their filter doesn't allow them access to that would enable their system to work better and I think it would if this like reset the balance and allowed neurodivergent people to have a say in the way the world works that you know um sort of like systematic systematic what we're talking about systematic i can't think of the word um you know like things like racism and discrimination and those types of things i think that i don't think it's ever going to disappear but i think it would massively reduce yeah that yeah actually happening yeah because because we take people at face value we don't judge and then and then decide if they're not guilty or guilty you know we're like like bottom ground up thinkers and predominant neurotype top down thinkers so they have like a preconceived idea as we don't have that we're like blank page um and i think if you sort of got the balance of both that it would it would make the world a much better place that's my opinion anyway yeah it's like no like you know like you like uh had a chance to uh talk on uh you know autism they would have urgency recently and like on the bbc program and i guess you know like yeah that is issue with not having the ability to like speak truly off what what you went to the say on the topic and that's a problem with like being under percent able to communicate that. Yeah, it was it was an interesting experience that was. I thought it would be much more fluid in the sense of having a conversation, like to and froing. I thought it would be I thought I'd have more time to articulate more points that I 
feel I I think would have been you know like how we're discussing things now yeah this is engaging for me and interesting and I want to keep talking but when I did the radio program um, but when I did the radio programme, I was under the impression that the person who I'd be kind of counter-arguing with yeah. was someone who was just going to talk about the medical model and fight the reasons why the medical model is the right way. And I was going to be like social model. So that kind of threw me a little bit. And then when the chap who runs the show asked me, you know, how how what can we do to better support autistic people? It was kind of like a question I wasn't prepared for because it wasn't on the itinerary of things I'd yeah. been given. I just wanted to say to not just ask questions off the cuff that I wasn't prepared for. I was just like, oh my gosh. And then and then my voice disappeared. And then he said, you know, live radio, like no pressure. I'm thinking, oh my life. Yeah. <laughs> just gonna, yeah. So I think it was just a, for me, it felt like a recipe for disaster. But I think I managed to turn it round and I had to work really hard to kind of police my language, the things I was saying, and also not to let my emotions take over and gallop off. You know, because some of the things that the other chap said were quite triggering and I felt were rude and offensive and ill-informed was how I felt. Um, And the kind of things that I wanted to say, I didn't feel I was able to elaborate on. A, because I was incredibly nervous and B, because I don't feel like I don't feel like the things that the other person said were I don't feel I don't feel like they had enough substance to them. Yeah, I need substance to innate like, you know, when I'm listening to something, it's like when before when I worked as I was like interpreting between English and British Sign Language, I'd be listening to people taking on board what they're saying and building a picture. And this is what I do all the time anyway, as in in my own head, because I think in pictures um, and you find that a lot of people, you either get people who get straight to the point or people that just go right around the houses, waffle, waffle, waffle. Yeah. And I'm just going, what exactly are you saying? Because there's actually no content to this. There's no, there's no substance to what you're saying. And I've had people before say, you know, why aren't you signing? I'm like, because you haven't actually said anything. <laughs> but, you know, how do you say that you know, without offending somebody? Um, like, again, it's like... It's the difference between being neurodivergent and not, you know, that yeah. sort of cross neurological, cross neurological, um, I don't know why you'd put it, sort of differences, isn't it? Differences that don't quite jump the gap. You know, things yeah. drop down the gap and therefore the communication yeah. breaks down. And I was saying with the in, uh, BBC chat you did, you know, like if I can imagine it would be quite difficult because, you know, like, as you say, you have to go into the radio studio and then, you know, like, do it live on radio and then that can be quite nervous and challenging. And especially, like, even though, like, you were, like, asked, you know, what would help you as an autistic person? Then you got, like, kind of, like, think quickly and give quick responses and, you know, kind of, like, you know, like, you had to think, like, off the cuff, like, it's, Especially if you had to find an person and then you know we don't know the responses of the yeah. other person. And like yeah. I was listening back to, to uh, uh the the podcast interview thing of it and that's how we decided that's how we thought we meant to get you on because it seemed like you didn't have a chance to say much of all you wanted to yeah. and they thought it'd be great to give you the chance to do it. And oh. like but from the other contributor 
like yeah. it, it seemed a bit like like uh, the person had trouble thinking of what what to say next, and the person seemed to be like was yeah. supposed to be booked as like a professional lawyer. Okay, like, um, it's the same like the con. I like as I was saying, the contributor. Like, so you were saying as, that um, yeah, he was struggling like, to get his words out. Yeah, like and as he was like in a booked as like kind of like a bit professional or expert in the field of like medical logic where he's supposed to be and like presenting that argument. I would expect it to use something a bit more prepared and uh, considered and thought for. Yeah, I was a bit off-putting and I felt a little bit insulted because I was just like, I was expecting like a really, you know, meaty, discussion and it just wasn't it was just so beige in my opinion from, yeah. from my point of view because I'd got such a lot to say yeah. and I was just like I just felt like and, and I, I did read I did read his article about his experience of meeting two autistic people and I felt very much like he'd based his opinions on those very brief experiences with two autistic people and as I've said before you know when you've met one autistic person yeah. you've met one autistic person and some some of the I've got I have actually gone through the document yeah. and and highlighted the bits I disagree with and explained why <laughs> because it, it I just thought maybe you know maybe he might raise things like that in the actual on the actual show um but again he you know he made the assumption that because I'm articulate and I have qualifications and blah blah blah. Therefore, my I'm lucky and I'm privileged and you know we we are all lucky and privileged in some way that other yeah. people aren't. Um, and I don't feel like you're comparing eggs with eggs here. And yeah. I thought you were a scientist, and I thought that people who were scientists did compare eggs with eggs. You know, so. I just I just found the whole thing just bizarre. It was a you know it's an experience, and I think it, it it's one of those it's one of those experiences where you go yes I was incredibly nervous, and maybe yeah. the more the, the more opportunities I have where I can talk like that, maybe the, I'll get less nervous. Because um, yeah. I think that's the only way to get past the nerves is through experience, where so your brain starts to go okay we don't need to in fight and flight for this because um you've done this before and you made it out alive <laughs> yeah but but it, it's uh, quite difficult when you have to condense it into like really small answers and like try to get your thoughts so quickly and yeah. i've seen that you didn't know what the, per the other person was going to say and contribute to now to absolutely think back to it yeah so especially I, when you can sort of hear them wanting you to hurry up and you're sort of yeah. going oh more pressure oh my gosh <laughs> it's like like it's easy enough to freeze up in a moment then, you know. Yeah, and absolutely. like I said, you had a good job just to have the right amount of time just to get your thoughts out. Did you enjoy that right. podcast, by the way? I would. Oh, well, I thought, like, like what, well, like, as you said, you know, like yourself, you know, like, from, like, some bits were, like, as you said, some bits were the person you were triggered with. Like, I think, like, it was kind of like an awkward listen to it because, I'm like, you know, yeah, because, like, especially if, like, some bits were seemed a bit, like, like, lacking context from the other person and it seemed a bit, like, prejudged about, like, listening and get, yeah. getting a response from many autistic people. I was, like, yeah. I would expect that, like, them to have, like, another person who's, like, worked with many other autistic people and, like, highly researched stuff on the yes. topic yeah it, I didn't feel that I didn't feel like it was a fair like I feel I almost feel like he was 
he he was sort of pitching against someone who's not only autistic but has a relatively good command of the subjects, you know. Yeah. Um, but also also that you know I don't know it's just such a lot to unpick, you know, such a lot of sort of obscure and sort of what's the word ambiguous. It was yeah. ambiguous. Yeah, um, like I could see like you studied autism and like studied that yourself and you know made uh, video. Uh, videos on uh, autism so like as you say you can have a on the subject yourself yeah yeah uh, i think i think um he his argument was based on those two interactions with two autistic people yeah my 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 um my um what's the word i'm looking for my duty um <laughs> My so my basis was my own experience, my which is factual because it's yeah. my experience, and his was opinion, yeah. not fact. <laughs> like yeah, it would be a bit better if it wasn't something just saying old Bill on the street could have said. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah, so may maybe next time I might yeah. I might be able to talk to somebody like you who wants to just ask me questions and yeah. talk and without being you know um, offensive. Because you've been marvellous, so. Is there anything else you would like to say on the podcast, or any like where people can follow you online? It's been lovely to talk to you, by the way. Yeah, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Tonight, I have a Women's Institute session where I'm basically going to say the same things. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I like it when people go, have you got your things to prepare, blah, blah, blah. And I'm a bit like, I always think, well, I don't really need to prepare. It's all in my head. If you ask me the right questions, you'll get you'll get a lot out of me. Yeah. If you don't ask the right questions, you won't. <laughs> it's not actually my prep. It's your prep. I, find, I just find it really interesting just... You know, talking about personal experience, it's not something that you can really write it all down because it never comes out in the way that you want it to. But if somebody sort of mentions a word, I don't know if you are like this, but someone can mention a word and my brain goes, oh, here's the file for that info dump. You know, here's yeah. the file for that info dump. <laughs> That's generally how my brain works very much based on a delivery of information that is triggered by a keyword and if you get the right keyword and you frame things right and you you know yeah make me feel relaxed then you'll get the best out of me yeah so, having a good bounce off a conversation and being yes. important to be a good listener as is to be a good speaker absolutely yeah active yeah. listening and encourage being encouraging basically how you've been Aaron so I felt very relaxed and able to talk openly about things and you've asked really interesting questions that have just enabled me to you know disclose yeah. the information that I think it's you know seems to have come out quite well I'm quite pleased with myself because sometimes yeah. it doesn't come out very well other days it comes out incredibly well and I wonder how on earth how on earth I did it so is there like anything you want else want to say or anything else Rob? you want to like say follow me on like social media anything else you want to add to the conversation um not that I can think of um I do I do think that there is a divide appearing. I suspect that this is probably like a human characteristic um, because it seems to happen where there's a divide within a community and it isn't just exclusive to the autistic community. I think it exists within all communities. And I suspect that it's probably the kind of human characteristic of, you know, one team against the other. And I'm always saying to people, you know, if you, the analogy is, I can't remember who says this, so I'm, I'm not claiming this is my analogy, yeah. 
but you've got a glass jar with red ants and black ants in and they don't fight. Shake the jar and they start to fight. So when a community is fighting, you need to ask who's shaking the jar. Yeah, there's the kind of divide that happens, people arguing, you know, the sort of like, oh, well, you know, you're being this and you're being that, the kind of name calling. And I just sort of think, you know, people who are just establishing their identity, who've finally discovered who they are and why they're different, and then we start arguing. What? Yeah. You know, we don't need to start arguing with each other because we already have to fight against the predominant neurotype brain mindset. Let's not argue amongst ourselves, you know. Yeah. Let's have healthy discussions where we respect other yeah. people. Because, like, I think it's enough to be, like, a whole debate. Like, it can yeah. be, like, discussions where we can learn and listen to each other and see what, you know, we got to see them, like, better knowledge. But, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be, like, like too much of, like, a divisive debate. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I get quite a few people saying things like, you don't speak for me. And I'm like, I know, I don't speak for anybody. I speak for myself. And I always get that very clear. Yeah, I articulate on Twitter and on TikTok. And I have my blog, which is Little Bear in the Wood, uh, an autistic insight. I do have like a Facebook page, but I don't update that very much because I just find that Twitter, TikTok and my blog is enough. (laughs) Yeah. That was Rachel Binder in her own words, and I would like to thank Rachel Binder for coming on, and as you said at the end of the podcast, you can find her on uh, Twitter and TikTok at Articulate, and as I said, she'd say in, also, like, if you want to hear the interviews you did on the BBC for, for yourself and come up with your own mind on it, and I was... From and who what his head on our discussion. I'll also link that in the description and on the website. As said, and it was great to have her on, and she seemed positive about you know being open to come on a podcast. And found this was really positive experience, and I'm glad she did. As I try to make this as a, as an easy going experience for the guests and a positive one, and make sure that they are happy with the outcome of the interview. I said thank you, thanks to her, and thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, find uh, on social media at New Rainbow Pod Project. That's the handle on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can also email uh, New Rainbow at a-A-R-O-C-R-E-O that's newrainbow at arrowcreo.com or you can also email newrocast at a-A-R-O-C-R-E-O.com well that's the same end as uh, I just said anyway for the every email email that I'll include that again in the uh, uh, description and thanks you again for listening this is a podcast hosted by myself artistically uh, for the new rainbow project and that's it goodbye